There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I for the faster way. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie. I am your host, Eduardo, and I have assembled a spectacular squadron of soldiers for this episode. Quite the crew, I would say. First, Mr. Double Hat himself. It's Peaches. Peaches, what's up, man? Peaches Peaches the Double Hat? You know, this I is, this is ever so since. I, go ahead. Ever since the episode that uh, these guys did on their own when we were uh, in Texas, I get really self conscious every time I say "What's up, man?" <laughs> Just like, oh no! I'm sorry. I say yeah. "What's up, man?" and I immediately am like, "Ah, oh, shit! I did it again." They, they, they roasted <laughs> you for it. They roasted you for it for a reason. Like they want to hear it. People don't roast you for things they don't want to hear. Yeah. So I'm provocative. It gets the people going. I'm wearing two hats, so when I throw one with great velocity and force, I still have another one on my head. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, We've got a sound lord and a lady sound lord. Lady sound? Sound of the lady. The lady sound. The lady sound. The lady sound. Not not just any lady sound. This is the lady sound, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. What's up? How you guys doing? Oh, I was going to let the lady sound go first. Yeah, no, we're we're hanging in there. Oh my goodness gracious! Well, welcome. What's up, man? What's up, man? Also joining us, writer for all things uh, Squad Up and Assembly Required, Robert. Griffin the third is here. Robbie, what's up, man? Oh boy, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm good. Not a whole lot going on. Trying to uh, edit the notes down into something comprehensible for this really, really, really uh, convoluted film. Okay, well you got a minute and a half. <gasps> uh, so <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, for those of you that don't know, we're talking this week about Captain America: The Winter Soldier, which is. Uh, kind of divisively what some would say the best movie in the entire MCU. I think I have heard several people, I don't know of anybody on this podcast specifically, but I've heard several people make the argument that this is the best MCU movie of all time. So we'll delve into that. We'll see how it fits on our list and we'll kind of talk about the movie as a whole and we'll kind of dissect it and see how it fits in to the grander MCU. But first we get introduced to some characters and our resident Captain America expert's going to lead us through it. Chris, go! You're dang right I am. So uh, there are a couple of very important characters that we need to talk about before we move into this episode. The first one being Bucky Barnes. Bucky Barnes... We met him in Captain America, the first Avenger, but he plays a very important role in the Winter Soldier, which we will discuss. But to talk a little bit about the history of Bucky Barnes, he was probably one of the first, if not the first, boy adventure sidekicks in in comics. Robin might have come before him, I guess. Uh, Robbie looks just made the face like he's going to look that up. I know Batman turned Correct. 80 today, uh, but Robin wasn't around at the very beginning of that. 
Oh yeah, so he was he was the boy sidekick for Captain America. When Captain America returned after kind of not being used in the comics for a little while, and when when they made the decision to have it that Captain America was unfrozen and joined the modern day in Avengers number four, it was retconned that Bucky had died when uh, Baron Zemo shot shot Captain America and Bucky down, and his death is a driving force for Cap in many of the early Avengers appearances. Now, there was a saying in comics that I thought was very interesting, was that there were only three characters who ever would stay dead. <laughs> they were Uncle Ben, Bucky Barnes, and Jason Todd. Uncle Ben, of course, <laughs> being uh, Peter Parker's uncle. Bucky Barnes being Bucky Barnes. And Jason Todd being one of the Robins that was killed by the Joker. Well, two out of three of them have come back since then. Boy, I'm really there. excited for the... Poor ben. The Silver Sparrow that ends up being Uncle Ben. <laughs> I tried to pick Silver because he's going to be like an old person, so right. I wanted it to be like something Silver. <laughs> yeah. So in 2005, Bucky returned. And this was a sort of story that no one ever thought would have been a good idea, bringing back Bucky Barnes. But Ed Brubaker yep, brought I him made back fun of it as the win- Yeah. <laughs> Ed Brubaker brought him back as the Winter Soldier. And it was actually a twist in that comic in that storyline that this character, this, this Russian assassin was actually Bucky. So as part of this retcon, we discovered that Bucky himself was not, he wasn't quite as young as we thought as he, as he had been portrayed in the original comic, still young, still younger than cap uh, by a significant amount, but he was also already a trained assassin. And the retcon was that they would send him in, to do the dirty work that Steve didn't really know about. So he survived the crash. He lost his arm. The Soviet government found him, fitted him with a robotic arm, brainwashed him, turned him into an assassin that they would, that they kept on ice. They would only unfreeze him for assassinations, which is how this character that was younger than Steve Rogers, by the time he came back as a winter soldier, he had been unfrozen just enough to bring him up to adult age. Uh, so that's how they handled that. Like over the course of the the many decades, he'd been unfrozen the equivalent of 10 years or whatever. So uh, the, the Winter Soldier comic by Ed Brubaker is definitely worth reading if you get a chance. Uh, it's really good. It involves the Red Skull. It involves Cosmic Cubes. It involves this whole this whole conspiracy. Finds out, turns out that Nick Fury already knew about the Winter Soldier, didn't tell Steve about it. There's... there's <gasps> I know. It's shocking that Nick Fury would keep secrets. <laughs> His secrets are secrets. And at the end, they, uh, Steve uses the cosmic cube to recover Bucky's memories. Bucky disappears. Then he, he ended up coming back uh, at the end of the Civil War comic series when Steve Rogers was temporarily assassinated. Again, the most comic book thing you can be. <laughs> temporarily assassinated. Uh, Bucky actually ended up taking up the shield for a little while as Captain America, but now he operates again as the Winter Soldier, as a hero, but as one of the kind of grittier heroes of the Marvel Universe. Another important character we got to talk about, Sam Wilson, a.k.a. Falcon. He was introduced in the comics in 1969. He was the first black superhero in a mainstream comic. Uh, So he predate... Robbie, I'm just checking with you. Mm -hmm. I should have thought of this. Is he before Black Panther, or is he just the first African-American? He is before Black Panther. Okay. Um, but let me keep going, and I'll give you a date for Black Panther at the end of your speaking. 
Okay, thank you. Uh, he is a longtime ally of Captain America, and also, like Bucky, became Captain America uh, after Steve Rogers retired because he got temporarily old. Again, another weird comic thing in 2015. So actually, after this movie came out, uh, he he ended up kind of popular, and uh, he became Captain America for a little while, as he now has in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. Also, think- you are right. Black Panther, he was the first African-American. Black Panther does predate him by uh, a little less than three years. Okay. All right. Good to know. My mistake. All right. No, maybe we fact-checking live. That's how we roll. Flying by the, the first of many things, here. Robbie, will be wrong about Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it already. I love it already. <laughs> Yeah, so Falcon, he can talk to birds in the comics, and they didn't they didn't carry that over. And I want that so bad, right? They have him I talk want... to robotic birds. He has, he has a robot yeah, but, bird. But I realistic. want him in in Phase Four somehow because all the mystic stuff is is more mainstream and acceptable at this point. I need him to find Red Wing and just have the bond with him. Like I don't know how it would happen, but I want it. Yeah, he should have been in Iron Man 2, and then him and Whiplash's bird could have had it out. <laughs> <laughs> My bird. Been been like, epic no, bird Rand, this, is, this isn't his bird. <laughs> I just asked. No. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt with that. I just want him to have bird talking powers. Oh. No, I think it's very important that that be acknowledged, that he can talk yeah. to birds. Yeah. All right. Uh, Robbie, you were going to talk a little bit about the release of this film, correct? Yeah, there's not much to say. Honestly, as we go through, um, as the MCU got more established and was <clears throat> owned by a big studio, uh, the development of these movies stops being so interesting. Um, so there's nothing particularly <laughs> noteworthy about the uh, <laughs> development cycle of Winter Soldier. Um, probably the main thing was Joe and Anthony Russo uh, were chosen to be the directors for this film which was interesting. I liked literally everything they'd done before then because they had had uh, directed Arrested episodes of Arrested Development and episodes of Community, um, mm-hmm. which are both uh, two of the greatest sitcoms ever written. However, what that has to do with directing a superhero spy thriller, I don't know, but it worked out. Um, we yeah. know that they ended up being <laughs> extremely important to the MCU going forward. Um, the movie was released to in uh, April 2014 to phenomenal critical acclaim. Uh, it was widely regarded as maybe the best MCU movie at the time, um, perhaps behind Avengers. But there was a lot of a lot of the the consensus at the time was this is a more mature and more sort of intelligent and legitimate uh, superhero movie than some of the other MCU films at that point. Uh, and it grossed 714 million uh, in the box office uh, and was a big success and helped really cement, especially after Dark World that uh, the MCU was going to be able to continue to pump out good movies after Avengers. Robbie, I'm going to read this quote here at the top of the show because I think it kind of sets the stage for what this movie is about. Um, I'm down. uh, So Captain America, uh, he says this as he's talking to all of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's basically setting the stage later in the movie. If you're listening to this podcast, you've seen this movie most likely with us, so we're not spoiling anything for you here. Also, we're going to spoil it in 45 minutes anyway. So... (laughs) He's talking to the entire S.H.I.E.L.D. facility, S.H.I.E.L.D. as well as HYDRA, and he's saying um, basically that they're going to be taking down HYDRA and that if you want to take a stand, now is the time, and if you don't, um, you know they're going to be coming after you. And he says, I know I'm asking a lot. The price of freedom is high. It always has been, but it's a price I'm willing to pay. And if I'm the only one, then so be it. But I'm willing to bet I'm not. 
And it sort of sets the stage for this movie and sort of in general, um, Steve Rogers is such a beautifully written character that you'll see as we talk about this movie, this movie is about a man who is fighting Hydra and is, you know, going through all these fantastical things, but it's also about a man whose virtues and morals and sort of moral compass doesn't fit in with the time period that he has found himself in. So the movie opens up with an unknown man running in Washington, D.C., continuously being passed by Steve Rogers. And every time he passes, he says, on your left. Uh, We find out that Sam Wilson, the Falcon, and the two will eventually become best buddies. (laughs) Rogers takes off because he's got to go on a mission for some pirates on a ship because they're doing bad stuff. Honestly, I'm not really super clear on it. I have it in the notes right here, and I could look at it, but I don't think it's super important. No. I think what the audience needs to know is bad guys are on a ship, they've got some hostages, and it's up to Steve to save them. I will say... Sorry. Yeah. Go on, please. Go ahead. I'm... I'm one of those people that I don't think this is like the perfect movie. I enjoyed it a whole lot and I do think it's really well done. Um, But it kind of bothers me that I've seen this movie like many, many times now and I still have trouble following along with why they're on this mission and what exactly is happening and how Betrock. Betrock's a leaper. Why he got, why he's part of this and all that. I mean, it's cool that they used him, but like, just it, I still, I feel like they, just like rush through that I mean I guess explanation I guess to me it was always just pirates took the ship like I didn't I didn't think any more about it yeah it's you think that it's pirates took the ship you find out that well yeah it that this was shields ship and they were going to be launching the satellites for project insight from it and then you find out that pirates took the ship because Nick Fury hired the pirates because he was starting to have doubts about about Project Insight, so he was trying to get the information so he could figure out what was going on because he was starting to suspect that something was amiss in S.H.I.E.L.D. It just takes the whole movie to figure that out. You think it's one thing, then you think it's something else, and then you think it's something you find out it's something even different. I just feel like that's a bit of a maze. It's weird that the notes are three pages this episode. (laughs) I think you're right. I think this movie has a... I don't want to call it a problem, but it definitely has sort of this interweaving story that you can follow and kind of not follow. I think that maybe speaks to the movie's strengths in some ways, because even if you don't follow it, you can still enjoy the movie. Like, even if you're not following the very tiny threads this movie is leaving at what seems like every turn, Mm -hmm. you can still sort of follow the general. So maybe that, I guess for me, that speaks to the strength of the movie, but I can see why that would also be kind of frustrating to not really be able to follow half of what's going on in the movie. Not that you're not able to follow the movie, but like it definitely is a little convoluted at times. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I also like that this scene um, introduces Cap's new uniform. Um, the oh, kind for of... what reason? Huh? Just any reason in general? I mean, just Yeah, because just I just... Fits I like... really well on his body? Or... <laughs> I is mean, that... it does. But, um... <laughs> Um, <laughs> I I like subtle, like storytelling through costuming. So like, the best example I can think of to compare to this is like, in the Star Wars prequels, <laughs> which we were talking about before we started the show. But the Star Wars prequels, um, Anakin 
you kind of notice through from Attack of the Clones then into Revenge of the Sith, like his Jedi robes are noticeably darker than the other Jedi, and they get darker in Revenge of the Sith um, than they were in Attack of the Clones. And that's just sort of a nod to like the darkness within him and just kind of what sets him apart from the other Jedi. And I think too, with, with this movie, you've got this kind of dull blue, you know, it's not the star spangled, you know, it's not the spangly outfit as Tony called it. Um, it's just kind of a more serious, um, soldier's uniform. And, and I almost feel like it's, I, granted, we don't know if this uniform was Cap's choice or if it was S.H.I.E.L.D.'s choice to have him wear it. Um, if it was S.H.I.E.L.D.'s choice, that would kind of track, you know, if they, S.H.I.E.L.D., which was really Hydra, wanted to kind of keep Cap under their, you know, in their grasp and control him, use him for their purposes, you know, rather than, I think when he finally emerges in that spangly outfit later in the film, that's him like breaking away from S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra and doing his own thing and, you know. Yeah, I think in the original time period, they were saying, you know, Steve, you're not just a soldier, you're a symbol. And fast forward to the current time period, they're saying, Steve, you're not a symbol, you're just a soldier. Right. Like the that that dichotomy is definitely there. The, the difference is definitely there. Mm-hmm. What I think is interesting about that uniform is that it's all monochrome, it's one color, but it does have the star on the chest. And he and he does have his Captain America hood helmet hat i don't know what you want to call it mask thing so even while he's a shield agent he is still captain america it's more blended in but you can it's it's like what we said the point of iron man 3 was is that you can take all that away from him you can stick him in a lineup with a bunch of other shield agents but he's still at the end of the day he's captain america so the and it is like he merges like angela said at the end in his real Captain America outfit. And that's when he's like tossing shield aside. I'm thinking about a hot take and now I'm going to be thinking about it the whole movie. So I need to say it now. This is what I think Iron Man three was trying to do with Robert Downey Jr. About how he was Iron Man. But I think Chris Evans does it way better as (laughs) Captain America. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am. Cause he just convinces me so more that he is like, that Steve Rogers is Captain America and the two are interchangeable and they are one. Like they, I never for one second doubt his motive or what, what he will do in any situation because I know what, what cap would do. No, I liked Iron Man three more than you, but I don't think that's a hot take at all. Yeah. Hot take. This movie is better than that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Also not a hot take. Right. Fair. Fair. So, uh, Rogers, along with Romanov, the Black Widow, go and they go. They have a like a task force with them, along with Crossbones, which I don't know his name. Um, Brock Rumlo, Rumlo, I know his last name. Rumlo, Rumlo, Brock Rumlo. Um, I can yeah. honestly, I I can never get his real name, uh, like the character's name, and the actor's name straight because I think Frank Grillo sounds like a comic book villain too. Yeah, is it Frank Grillo sounds like uh, what's Punisher's name? Um, Frank Castle. Frank Castle. Frank Castle. <laughs> Yeah, and, honestly, and when I was a kid, I got crossbones and Punisher mixed up. I mean, oh, he's go. got a skull thing going on. There you too. go. I don't know. So they go, they attack this uh, this ship to try to get the hostages out. We find out that Black Widow has her own mission, 
So while uh, Steve is off trying to save the hostages, Black Widow is off trying to get some information before uh, from the ship that is sort of classified shield information. When you say save the hostages, what you really mean is kicking everybody on the ship so hard that mm-hmm. all of their spines break in half. Dude, that guy kicks so much in this movie and every time he kicks it's like a mountain is crashing into a person like he i don't know what he what he's eating he's it's gotta be like he had a big breakfast a lot of wheaties yeah man sorry i'm just thinking about there's there's like one guy in particular that he kicks toward the edge of the ship and basically just breaks his back on the edge of the ship and then he like flops over like Oh, he's so he's so strong. <laughs> he really is. They really. Who has a bigger crush on Captain America? Uh, me right now. We are gonna Dude. find out through. It's gonna be a contest throughout I, this whole movie, yeah. man. Yeah, I had. I I just I won't Civil get, War at the helicopter scene. <laughs> I won't get into this now. <laughs> like too much, but I had a, such a hard time writing down notes in this movie because I was just engrossed in it. But one of the few things I did write down is literally in all caps pun intended caps legs <laughs> Just caps legs anyway now that i've gushed so rogers goes to shield to be like hey nick fury what the f you, i thought we were saving people and you're over here with your secrets once again trying to get some information out of something and obviously Nick Fury being the cool Samuel L. Jackson person he is, he's like, I can do whatever the hell I want because I'm Nick Fury and Samuel L. Jackson. So take that, Steve mm-hmm. Rogers. Let me show you these three really boring helicarriers over here. Oh, no. Here we go again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have no problem with the helicarriers in this movie. I just wanted to call them boring. Um, oh, you also they- get the very important line setting up Nick Fury's uh, backstory about how last time he trusted someone, he lost an eye. I lost an eye. It was Meow. just a cat, but I'm not going to tell you that. It wasn't yeah, that... just a cat; it was a flurkin. Do you feel? Do you feel like that line kind of feels out of place because he says someone specifically? Or are you like, ah, a cat can be a yes, someone? Yes, I. We'll talk about this in many episodes, but I actually think the whole fact that it was a cat is boring and ruins some of the backstory. No, I thought that the fact that the last thing he <laughs> says to Goose before he runs off with him is, "I'm trusting you not to eat me." Oh, uh-huh. and, and I knew, I knew, uh-huh. I knew it was going to be the cat in that movie. Yeah, you know, I had, I had like joked about it like months before it came out, and then, and then as soon as he said, "I'm trusting you," I'm like, "Oh God, it's going to actually happen." <laughs> he's going to get scratched Dang. in the face, and he's going to lose an eye, and that's I mean, going to be the source of his badass mystique. We we refer to our pets as if they're people, so I guess it's it's fine saying someone and referring to Goose, but it just feels kind of weird. Like maybe they were going to give him something. Yeah more actiony heroic yeah. whatever and then they were like you know just leave funny. it a mystery yeah yeah, yeah no we true. can't do that if we leave it a mystery then we're you know it'll just be a mystery forever and people will be upset about it the internet will will do all their fan fiction tell me about snoke you have to spell out snoke i can't enjoy it if you don't <laughs> that's why solo was such a big hit i always wanted to know where <laughs> i'm got so angry now <laughs> Uh, so Fury shows Rogers these three helicarriers. Operation Oversight, correct? Yes. Insight. Oper- insight, 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 Excuse yes. Excuse me. Operation Insight. Close. You need Grover to teach your prepositions. <laughs> In Portuguese, um, preferably. Which are these three Call large helicarriers that will attach to a satellite network and be able to eliminate targets um, before they do anything 
they kind of they kind of have this whole like moral uh, sort of feud with each other where they talk about well how can you know someone's going to do something and you know Nick tells him you know you can't just wait for somebody to do something bad that's how people die um, and so this initiative is created to sort of kind of look over everyone and protect everyone it's not very dissimilar to the same thing Tony wants to do in Civil War where he wants to put an or Iron Ultron. Man suit <laughs> Um, or I'm That's sorry, exactly Ultron. Exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> where he wants to put an Iron Man suit on uh, on every uh, in every continent. Does he say? Because uh, he, he wants to put a suit of armor around the world, and that's Ultron. Right. Ultron is Project Insight. How did I never? <laughs> we did it again. <laughs> we did it. We retrospected the shit out of this. <laughs> yeah, this is why why Steve was so against Ultron from the right. beginning. Yes. And of course, the fact that Ultron turned out to be homicidal, like, immediately. You know what, though? Like, if you compare those two, yes, the theme is the same, but the Ultron one, and I'm not just defending Tony because he's my boy, but the Ultron one seems more legitimate than Nick Fury literally saying, we're going to shoot people out of the sky <laughs> before they commit crimes. That's like, has he not watched Total Recall? I know yeah. there are movies in the MCU because they reference Jeff Bridges and... and Star Wars. So Total Recall probably happened. He did not watch it. You can't now, just that. Robbie, you have an interesting point about how this relates to freedom and freedom of security and kind of how it relates to sort of the time period in which this movie was released. Absolutely. And I know, so in Avengers, and I think maybe in Iron Man 3 as well, you talked up how this movie is operating in sort of this post 9-11 world and sort of kind of handling that subject matter and maybe kind of with kid kid gloves in those films and this time i think it was handled by steve rogers kicking the door down it's more than i think maybe any other mcu movie this one seems to have like okay more than any mcu movie other than black panther this movie seems to have a thing to say like a a, mm -hmm. a message uh and i found it very very interesting as someone that that grew up through 9-11 and watched that whole like Look at how excited we are. Let's just give up some freedoms to make sure this doesn't happen again. Patriotism. And this movie handles that on a couple different ways that I think are interesting. One, I do like that the movie seems to have a message, and it doesn't beat you over the head with it, but it does kind of talk about exactly that exact line you used at the start of the, the, of the synopsis of uh, freedom is a – there's a high price to pay for freedom, or the cost is high for freedom, uh, but it's always been. And that later in this film – Arnim Zola talks about, uh, how does he say it? He says, uh, uh, Hydra created a world so chaotic, humanity is ready to surrender its freedom willingly. And those two quotes, I think, just play off each other perfectly in this film. And it just gives this very, very spooky idea of, well, if the world's so dangerous, is this how you want us to handle it? And makes you kind of think about that. But also, it's definitely not a 9-11 truther movie, but it kind of gives this idea of... of what if this thing wasn't, what if something like this was an inside job? What if all this stuff really was just to make you give up your freedoms? And it's not, it's definitely not saying that, you know, this was really what was going on in the U.S. government. You know, all this calamity in the, in the uh, 20th century wasn't, you know, to make you give up your freedom. But it does kind of present the truly horrifying idea of what if it was? What if you were being manipulated into saying, yes, please protect me. I don't need to be able to walk the street safely. Um, and so I, I find it, very interesting um it's done in a way that is both 
thinky and interesting, but also uh, terrifying and, and and compelling for the plot. Well, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I think the movie uh, definitely has its message, right? It's definitely trying to tell you... Uh, some, something about the time period is trying to tell you about freedom and it's trying to tell you about what it means to be an American. It is trying to tell you about sort of the sacrifices that have been given and how you shouldn't be try- like so willing to give up your freedom because of all the sacrifices those that have come before you have had to do. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's really interesting when when Nick and Steve are having that exchange where Fury tries to throw back at him, well, you know, the Greatest Generation made a lot of compromises too. Mm-hmm. And Steve admits that, tries to say, but it was all for freedom. Right. Which kind of demonstrates the slippery slope of you make this, you you start with one sacrifice for freedom, for freedom, for freedom, for freedom, until you're giving up freedom. I mean, right. it, it is the end point. I mean, it's just that Steve skipped all the stuff in the middle and is only seeing the outcome of what it is. But in the end, Steve represents the ideal. You know, this is what we talked about in the first Captain America episode is that he is sort of that pure ideal of American freedom and what it is supposed to represent. Right. Right. The price of freedom is high. And I think you guys also bring up a great point connected to that where this whole thing, and, and this just gets deeper and deeper for Steve as he goes through the movie, this perfectly sets up the guy we see in Ultron that is absolutely 100% no, nah, don't, don't do this crap. Mm-hmm. So Rogers heads over to the Smithsonian to see an exhibit about himself, which has to be one of the weirdest experiences anybody <laughs> right. can ever... Could you imagine going and watching like an exhibit of your life? Also, it's just, just over there. It's just done so well. It just feels exactly like a real exhibit that would exist in the Smithsonian, right down to the Gary Sinise. Yeah. um, Gary Sinise uh, is absolutely who they would get to uh, do the voiceover for it if Captain America were real. (laughs) Like, it it couldn't be anyone else. Would they have a Captain America green side and a Captain America orange side? (laughs) No one gets your reference. (laughs) One of them would be more intense is what I'm saying. Mm. Like camping. (laughs) <laughs> no one gets your, that reference either the, everyone the, gets my reference the, <laughs> the name i we're gonna we're gonna sidetrack and talk about disney theme parks for real for a second because the name of that exhibit i know we've talked about this in real life i can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast or not if we did i apologize but the name of the exhibit is captain america the living the american icon and living legend or something like that it's some weird, complicated name. And the first time I heard that name, it was because that was the name of the Captain America meet and greet at Disneyland. And I remember going, what an awful name for meet and greet. <laughs> and then I saw the movie and said, no, that's a perfect name for a Smithsonian exhibit. And I get it now. I'm sorry, Disneyland. I take it back this time. Uh, so Rogers sees that exhibit about his life. He reminisces about his old life. And then he goes to visit an old Peggy Carter who is suffering with some sort of uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, something. I don't think they actually explicitly say Alzheimer's, but um, something along those lines. Maybe I'm alone here, but did anybody else 
did anybody else get notebook vibes from this? Because yes. when I saw this, where oh, she like yes. doesn't remember who he is, I immediately thought of the notebook. And I've only seen the notebook once, and it's not a movie that <laughs> sticks with me. But for some reason, that scene just makes me think of the notebook. <laughs> if you're a bird, I'm a bird. <laughs> I I got the vibe too, but I also I also think that they usually do a really good job of aging or de-aging the characters in the MCU, but I didn't think they did a great job with Peggy. Like, it was weird that she was, like, a thousand years old and also had (laughs) impeccable hair and perfect teeth. Like, like, I mean, they might be dentures, but it was still, like, I don't know. There were parts of it that felt... um, I don't even know the right word. They creeped me out a little. You know? Uncanny Valley? Like, yeah. yeah. Like I think, uncanny. I think this was kind of early in when movies started doing this, though. Like, yeah. I yeah. think they hadn't fully figured it out yet. At yeah, I think point. in relation to um, what Steve looks like at the end of Endgame. Well, like, yeah. And is she, well, very... is she CG aged or is she just makeup in this? It's both. Okay. Both. So, but but here's the thing is that they and it wasn't de-aging, but they did, in my opinion, a fantastic job of transitioning like man's like just like macho man Steve Rogers between that and would break if the wind blew Steve Rogers in the first movie. And so I know it's not the same thing. It's not necessarily an aging yeah, thing. Faces but are harder. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they well, didn't they really need to change face, his right? face too much, and I, I, they yeah. made his face a little bit thinner. But they like yeah. they used someone who was skinny yeah. and small, and like put Chris Evans' yeah, face and I, on him. I watched a video of the work that went into that in that movie, and maybe we should have talked about it on the episode because it was like extremely hard. Which means they did a great job that we we talk mm-hmm. about it, but yeah. I don't know. Just something about it makes me uneasy, but I don't think it's the worst de-aging ever or aging in this case ever. I just think it's not the best either. That's, but I have to, if I'm going to like say anything about this movie negatively, it has to be a nitpick. Peaches hates mm-hmm. this movie. <laughs> Disagree. Confirmed. <laughs> I did like for this scene that Steve says, knowing you helped found, found shield is half the reason I stayed. It was really sweet. And like also makes sense that, he had that driving force behind it, like, oh, this was Peggy's thing, you know, because clearly he does not like Nick Fury. <laughs> yeah. So he certainly didn't stick around for him. It's really sad because uh, we already talk about our love affair with Chris Evans and his portrayal of Steve Rogers and how much we love the character, but he's just so endearing and you want things to work out for him so bad. And he always does everything to kind of to help people and to help his country and to help everyone around him. And he just gets like crapped on over and over and over again. And you just feel so bad for him that you just want him, you want him to have a win, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is just another one of those life, just taking a big old dump on him. Poor guy. And it's, it's so sad when she has her spell. We're just going to roll on past that. Uh, it's when she has her spell and cause they've been having a conversation and it's been a very good conversation and then she has a coughing fit and then she looks at him and it's like she's seeing him for the first time again. She starts crying and says, oh, you're back. It's been so long. And the way he immediately transitions into saying, he goes, I couldn't leave my best girl. Not when she still owed me a dance. Which, first of all, my heart. Yep. Uh, Destroyed. <laughs> um, yeah. But also, 
you know that's not the first time he's seen this happen. Right. And Which is probably where we get the notebook vibes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That he's he he still goes back to see her all the time and puts in the act of I'm seeing you for the first time again because he knows that's what she's experiencing, that's what she needs. It's it, it's it's love and it's it's a really sweet, sad thing. I remember when that scene happened the first time I saw it and I was like, Oh boy, this is what I was afraid of. Gonna cry. Uh, <laughs> you know? It was very well done. The movie kind of transitions to Fury. He's in a car having a conversation, and then all of a sudden a police car sideswipes him and we get this very long, intricate uh, car chase with Nick Fury. Peaches, you want to talk about this, this not just the scene in particular, but the action sequences in this movie um, that some would say are really fantastic, and I guess some would say otherwise. I Yeah, I could have picked any scene to put this point in the notes about because it's not my favorite action scene in the movie, but like, I, I just... I think the reason for me this movie is so entertaining is because it has either some espionage weirdness going on and you're trying to figure out what the hell is happening. And when it doesn't have that going on, it has crazy good, well-choreographed, visually stunning action sequences. And it's like back and forth and back and forth until the movie is over. And even watching this retrospectively, knowing that Hydra has infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D., it's still cool to see all of those scenes like it's still just as tense and i think this scene does a good job of combining both of those things because the police officer approaches fury's car in the police car and they glance at each other and fury says something to him like what do you, do you remember what he said to him like do you need a you want to see my lease yeah do you want to see yeah. my lease and the cop just doesn't acknowledge him and then the confrontation starts and you're wondering like, why the hell is this happening to Nick Fury? Like, I still don't know what's going on. Obviously we do at this point retrospectively, right. but it's still just as tense. And the scene is really fun to watch. Um, it's yeah, it's a car chase, but it's got this elevated aspect to it because his car is like basically the Batmobile. <laughs> it's just got all this crazy stuff inside of it. He's got the Gatling gun where the, you know, the, I can't words today. Why did you put me on a podcast today? He's got a Gatling gun in the center console and his car is telling him all the stuff that's going wrong. It references that it can fly, but then it can't fly. Yeah. Right. Like all that stuff is done. Probably one of the funniest scenes in the movie, which again, if I have to nitpick just to have a, a converse opinion here, the movie doesn't have a lot of humor in it compared to some of the other, uh, MCU stuff, uh, up to this point. Um, but I like the scene too, because as tense as it is, there's some humor in it. Like he Mm -hmm. asks after all the damage is done to the car, what the hell is working in the car? And the car says the AC is fully functional. Like, (laughs) so I just think that it's a really cool scene. And, um, I I think all the action scenes in this movie are great. I just wanted to call attention to this one specifically because I think it's well done and you don't really get a lot of action scenes with samuel l jackson you you get a lot of quick one shots where he's like shooting a pistol at a jet that's leaving the hell yeah <laughs> but then you don't get much else and this and this feels like he finally got to be the star of a scene 
you know. And another thing I think is capable. Another thing I think it does really well is this is our introduction to the Winter Soldier, Mm -hmm. and his his introduction is genuinely chilling. It's just he's through a crack windshield. He's just black and kind of obstructed, and you don't know what you're seeing. And then the music for the Winter Soldier is like, and the music is great in this film, but for the Winter Soldier in particular, it's like genuine horror. Like it reminds me of like the original Alien. yeah, uh, it's trailer. Got kind of got that scream yeah, to it. Yes, um, and and Angela can can fill me in if there's something because I can't put I can't put music into words. I don't understand it, but it, it's like it's just done so well, and he's it's scary the way he just walks up to the car and rips off the 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 door, and and you know, yes, we've seen Fury escapes, but from that first moment, you are scared of what the Winter Soldier is capable of, and I think it's a it's a tremendous introduction. No, Robbie doesn't know the music very well because it's not Switchfoot. Correct. <laughs> but I can't now, talk Angela, about that either. Uh, I am not. We're going to talk about it later, but I, I figured it's good to bring it up now because you cited this specific scene in the notes about um, scenes you didn't necessarily enjoy, and I'm not calling you out because I agree with you about this scene specifically. What? <laughs> I wow. think the scene's kind of cool, but I think the scene runs so long. Yes. This car chase is just, it goes on for what feels like forever. And there's I... just a lot of like scenes of somebody like cocking a gun and then moving out of a window and then a car crashes and then another guy cocks a gun and he shoots at a window. And it just, there's not a lot of, there's like a dance in some of these other scenes where it's like a choreographed dance between between two performers and it, it's really incredible to see them do that anytime you see um, steve uses fighting ability it's really incredible but this just seems like almost just like chaos yeah i first of all something i hadn't thought about until watching it today um hydra has not been revealed yet so how does this extreme violence by the quote-unquote police with the machine guns and they're like driving alongside fury and bashing into him and all this stuff how does that get explained away like as far as everyone knows this is the police there's a lot (laughs) in this movie that i'm wondering like wait how do you how do you explain that that didn't make (laughs) sense um and yeah i just get easily fatigued with you know car chases and just fights that go on a long time especially when it's like gunfights in the streets and stuff um it just so this is something that this is where the movie kind of isn't in my favorites is for for this reason like these are the kind of scenes that i if i'm just watching it by myself i fast forward because it's just it's just too long like i just want to get to the character development i want to get to actual scenes with people talking to each other and you know things like that um Robbie had mentioned the music. Um, I actually do not share that opinion that the music in this film was really good. Um, I do agree the noise that they did for Winter Soldier is very chilling. Um, So I do think that was a good choice. Um, But the score, I feel like when you just had Alan Silvestri with the Avengers theme and the, the Captain America theme, which we hear like a tiny bit of it in the very beginning of the film, and I'm glad they did that to kind of set the scene of like this is a captain america film but then like we never hear it again i agree with that i wish we heard it more and i just frankly i've heard a lot of henry jackman scores in like other films as well and i just feel like it's all very the same 
and like the theme that he developed for this is kind of forgettable and boring so and i just feel like the whole film has this they play this like and it's like really just i i it's kind of it sets the tones like i get it but it's also not memorable i'm not gonna like rush out and get this soundtrack so i think i don't I don't disagree with that in that I don't think it's memorable. I don't, there's nothing, I don't want the soundtrack for this movie. But I think this movie is like a modern version of those 90s, like, political thrillers. And I guess I grew up watching those with my father. And this movie just felt like a great sort of take on those films. And the, I, I think, while it's not a memorable score, I think it fits what they're going for in the movie well, I guess is what I would say. I do agree that I wish there was more Captain America theme. That's fair. Yeah, it's just when you've established this incredible theme for this character and then to completely ignore it. I agree with that. Um, is just criminal, in my opinion. Um, well, yeah. you heard it here first, folks. Angela is now the new negative person on the podcast. It's not me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's only Angela. <laughs> and, uh, it's finally been lifted off my shoulders. <laughs> You're wow, welcome. she must be some sort of... Lady of Sound. <laughs> the Lady of Sound. <laughs> yeah, not just any Lady of Sound. Who do you think? University. She, <laughs> she got the trademarked. <laughs> so during this battle, uh, Fury ends up escaping from the Winter Soldier's clutches, but not without getting a few injuries of his own. Steve comes home. He sees his neighbor, who's going to be Peggy's niece that he has like a thing with that we kind of don't talk about anymore but here it is and it's super weird Uh... it's not revealed in this movie that she's I mean it's revealed that she's agent 13 and if you know the comics you know who she is right but they never call her Sharon Carter in this movie yeah and it's weird now with if we look at it as a retrospective if you will Mm -hmm. uh, in hindsight it's weird Yeah. yeah it is (laughs) isolated in this film she's an interesting character the hindsight of the films is of the larger universe is just like yeah why did she exist yeah why her specifically like steve you could have had anybody probably on the planet like myself included why did it have to be your lady's (laughs) niece like also he didn't really he kissed her once under a bridge and then forgot she existed like it's He's like, uh, you know what? We've all, the kiss, we've all it wasn't as good as the one with me and your aunt, so I'm just going to go back to her. We have mm-hmm. all had one of those, but we didn't make movies about them. <laughs> oh, well, I've got something awkward to tell you after the after the podcast. <laughs> this is taking a really anyway. weird turn, yeah. So, so Steve, he's back at his apartment. He's back at his apartment. <laughs> he finds uh, Nick Fury there. And he what song is playing? It's been a long, long time. Everybody cries because retrospective, once again, we're all crying because of the end of Endgame. Yeah. Um, Except for the people that saw the end of Endgame and got mad that, that they were dancing to, that's Stephen Bucky's song. Oh No, that's the song a, Nick Fury gets shot to. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, it's been a long, long time in re- when you know that it's Bucky and that's the first time he's, he doesn't know that it's Bucky singing, but it's the first time he's singing Bucky again. It's an appropriate title at least sure but i don't think that makes it stephen bucky's song that song actually just makes me think of this wedding i was at really oh it must have been a good one uh 
Fury is using his phone to tell Steve that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been compromised, that um, he needs to not trust anyone, and he hands him a thumb drive right before, right after he gets shot. So he gets like shot from, the, from a window, like uh, a couple of sniper slugs get him right through. And then Sharon Carter, Agent 13, who we know to be Sharon Carter, busts in and is like, I work for S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm not really a nurse. Ha ha. And yeah. <laughs> surprise. <laughs> surprise. I wasn't doing laundry. <laughs> <laughs> she might have been doing laundry. <coughs> she might know. have. Um, although. The spies got to wear clean clothes. No, but she said she was washing scrubs. That's true. Maybe she tried to say she was watching scrubs yep. and, and it just slurred because she was drinking. No, you don't want no scrubs in your laundry. <laughs> uh, I love Zach so Braff. Rogers tries to chase the assassin. The assassin catches his shield with his big old oh. metal arm. I know it was in all the trailers, but still, how badass was that? Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> he throws it back at him and he escapes. Um, so Rogers, Romanov, and Marie Hill are there. The doctors are unable to resuscitate Nick Fury, and he is pronounced dead. Rogers refuses to talk to Romanov about Fury's visit. He doesn't want to tell her. He doesn't trust her because what Nick Fury just told him was trust no one, including Romanov, including the Black Widow. He then gets the Black Widow. especially the Black Widow. He hides his thumbstick with a little thumb drive with all the information in a gum machine, and he is whisked off to go meet up with. Let me look up this gentleman's name. Secretary Alexander, Alexander Pierce. Pierce. Secretary Alexander Pierce. Just what I was gonna say. Uh, Robert freaking Redford. <laughs> yes, Robert Redford was in a superhero movie, y'all. Okay, no, but like, no. Think about this because we have already like remembered actors that have been in these movies that we didn't remember, and they're all like phenomenal, right? Like we, okay. but they're not all Robert. Yes, Redford. they're not. <laughs> Robert Redford being in a superhero movie, I think, is probably the most like wow of all of the actors. Like there are great actors in these movies, and even actors that mm-hmm. I think are better than Robert Redford, but they don't necessarily hold themselves to the same sort of I'm not going to do that standard that Robert Redford does. And especially this late in his career, like I I was it was crazy to me that Marvel got Robert Redford. Mm-hmm. And then he's he's great in this movie. He's really good in this movie. Again, who how can, it's an overgeneralization to say that the MCU has bad villains because I think that he's a suitable. He's yes. a very interesting character throughout, and turns out to be the villain. I don't. I don't really dislike him that much, or like don't really care about him until he shoots his housekeeper, and I'm like, what uh-huh. the f? Yeah. Uh-huh. Renata, no. I know. I know what, what he says before he goes. Oh, I wish you'd knocked, and then oh he shoots God. her. Goodness. Yeah. Something I noticed on this watch was um, when Pierce is talking to Steve, um, and he says. We were both realists, and he was talking about him and Fury. And I just remembered that one of the quotes I chose for Iron Man Two was Fury saying, "I am real. I'm the realest person you're ever going to meet." And I just thought that was funny. <laughs> That's all. Um, Pierce is talking to Rogers about his friendship with Fury. He's basically trying to butter him up to get the information that was given to him from Fury, trying to show him that he can trust him because of his past friendship with Fury. Rogers refuses to tell Pierce uh, why Fury was in his apartment. 
and Pierce threatens Rogers not to get in his way of finding why Fury is dead. And then we come to one of the best scenes in this entire movie, the elevator fight scene, which is just so cool. And it's just, even from the beginning when he's watching everybody come in and they're like, he like notices some of them have their hands on their weapons. So he can kind of tell something's about to go down. And then just as you heard, he sees the guy sweating. And just as you heard at the beginning of this very podcast, he says, before we get started, does anyone want to get out? And then all (laughs) hell breaks loose. And it is just so cool. It's hard to talk about this movie because you can talk about like the fight sequences, but at the end of the day, it's just going to devolve into this was really super cool, and like I have nothing more to say about it. I just think it's super cool. Oh man! Oh god! It's go it's it's your they take your idea of a basic close quarters fight. They make it one person versus ten people, pretty much. They make it extremely close quarters. They take the shield away from Cap for a lot of it the you get the dramatic tension of hey these people are supposed to be steve's allies they're right. all shield but steve noticed something is amiss you get the build-up to it the tense build-up of cap going all sherlock holmes and noticing that guy's got his hand on his gun this guy's sweating this guy's uh hair on the back of his neck are standing up and you see how how steve's brain works in addition to him being just a specimen, as the guy at the mm. Apple Store calls him. <laughs> <laughs> He's also got a brain. And and then just the fight itself, it's so well shot, and you it feels feels like it hurts. Yes, visceral. And yeah, it's it's visceral. And and the one of my favorite things that they do, and it's just one of those neat little spy gadgets, like, oh, this isn't a suitcase, the uh, or a briefcase, the uh the handle on it is actually magnetic, and we're going to use it to magnet your arms to the wall mm-hmm. so that you can't fight back. It's just one of those... I, I love spy gadgets like that. And then the fact that he's strong enough to get out of that, and while he's got one arm attached to the wall, he's still able to take out two or three guys. Not and to then... mention, this scene is just... Like, if you think about it from his perspective, it's cool that this is the time that he has the realization that, like, like he, he was told by Fury not to trust anybody. So he has yeah. that in the back of his head. But his he gets that, like, the light bulb at that moment when he notices all those Sherlocky things, right? And he's the like, Steve well, Tingle. this is it. <laughs> right, that's Steve Tingle. And... <laughs> And he he knows that that's his time, but you have to figure, like, he must know some of those people. You know that he knows Brock because Mm -hmm. he's interacted with him earlier in the movie. So he's sitting in there with these people that he may or may not know, knowing that they're all about to try to apprehend him, and he has to now beat the shit out of them um, in a close quarter. Like, it's probably emotionally tearing on him, too. But this scene is just so fun to watch all Mm -hmm. the way through. I I remember, like, I will stop whatever I'm doing if this movie is on. Same. For, for this scene. I will exit what I'm doing. And I have a great example. When I was, um, I did school online. I did my college online. And I had tests that were online tests all the time. And you had two hours allotted for each test. And I remember that my roommate at the time was watching Winter Soldier while I was taking some test. 
And I literally got up from the middle of the test and left the timer running to go watch this scene and then came back afterwards. Like that's how much I, I would just stop whatever the hell it is I'm doing. I think if I were streaming, I would put my Be Right Back screen up and go watch the <laughs> What grade did you get? Later. Yeah, how'd you do uh, on that well, test? I haven't, I, my last like three years of classes, I got all A's. So it okay. was probably- Then yeah. it was probably fine. Absolutely worth it. Up and, yeah. Right. It was a good break in the middle, you know? You know, weirdly, my favorite part of that scene, I think, is the very end when he steps on the shield to flip it back up onto his arm. Yes. (laughs) That is a sexy move. It's a sexy move. Yep. And then he just jumps out of the... He just jumps out of the elevator. He he notices the jet coming with the cannons on it, and he cuts... Or no, he doesn't do that first. I'm sorry. He he cuts the elevator. Right. It's because he sees people coming, and it's his only way to... He cuts it, it stops itself, he opens it, he sees, oh, there's more people coming. I also love that scene where he's looking, and he uh-huh. sees people, and he's and like, then, ooh. Yep. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it's a nope.jpg like, moment. Yep. And then he just jumps the fuck out of the elevator. Right. And Sitwell, Sitwell watches and goes, are you kidding me? Like, it, it's... Yeah. He just jumps the dolphin noises out of the elevator onto the <laughs> ground, which is a great Marvel callback from the beginning of the movie, uh-huh. when uh, Natasha's like, did he just jump without a parachute? Yep. <laughs> yep. Like, he's just so badass. Well, I love him using his shield to break through the glass ceiling, and, and then I should rephrase that differently, because Cap did not break the glass ceiling, but he breaks through the ceiling <laughs> that is made of glass, and he <laughs> lands shield first to, like, make it so that it doesn't shatter all of his bones. Well, because the vibranium will... Yeah. Like, and I know Eduardo wants to talk about this, so I hope I don't steal his thunder, but I know, like, in this scene, after he gets out of the elevator, but also this is the second time we've had this in this movie, because this is really his second fight sequence in the film, this movie does so many great things with how Cap uses his shield. And it's just, the the way they, they kind of established and grew, this is how Captain America fights in this movie. Like, from the first time I watched it, it was compelling to me to see, okay, this is how he's using who he is as a peak human. He doesn't have superpowers but he's got peak human and the kicks and the 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 understanding he now knows how to use his shield to just great effect and there's so many great things from the the ricochet shots when he's on the ship to on this to using it to cut elevator cables to using it to to brace his fall out of the out of the um the ele- out of the elevator to to knocking down the ship as he throws it into the engine but then jumps up to get it back off just all the different ways he uses his shield it, it's constantly a part of the character instead of just, well, Captain America had a shield in the comics, so we'll give him a shield and he'll use it a couple times. It's a really, really important factor in this film. Cap's fighting style in this movie really gets me because I think about the first movie and you know what's missing from the way Cap fights from the first movie to this movie? Mm-hmm. A gun. He, in the first movie, has a gun, and he uses a gun, and it is a weird thing that I, like, never thought about until I was, I started watching this movie as, um, even including the retrospective that he, he no longer uses a gun, he no longer wants to sort of do that, um, and I think it, it, they, they've evolved the character so well. I think about myself, about 
what I thought of Captain America before these movies. And I will be 100% honest when I say before these movies, I thought Captain America was the most boring vanilla dude. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was not an interesting hero. And to be fair, I didn't know very much about the hero. But I, you know, I'm coming from the edge of, man, I like my edgy heroes. Where's the Todd McFarlane (laughs) up in here, man? Where are my super edgy, like, (laughs) super (laughs) awesome, cool, like, dark, demented heroes? And then we got this really, right, yeah, we got this really boring, you know, captain america guy and then in these movies he really like part of what makes him so cool is his fighting style and the way he uses it and the way he uses his environment and the way he just visceral is a very good good way to put it it's a very good word to use for it it is a very it's very impactful everything that he's doing um during all of this is very impactful and it is very it's enjoyable to watch it's like i said earlier it's like a dance almost Mm -hmm. that these are almost like a dance that he's putting on with all these other stuntmen and it's fantastic and there's the cool moment later when he's deflecting bullets and there's kind of this aha you kind of see in his face uh, when he's hearing the ricochets of oh i can use this and so he adds that to to his repertoire of deflecting bullets back with the shield but what you're saying about the gun what's interesting about that and i don't know if this is on purpose in fact i'll bet it's not but maybe it is is that kind of follows his transition in the comics as well in the original um, you know, 1940s Captain America comics because he was actually a soldier while an actual real world war was going on. He was using mm-hmm. a gun. And then by the time there's the more modern Captain America that we know, he's more of the Batman, no guns, no killing kind of guy. And so I think it's very interesting that the movies follow that same sort of transition and that you picked up on it. Did you just say Martha? <laughs> Why did you say that name? <laughs> Rogers is branded a fugitive. And he escapes a Triskelion pursued by S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. He's a man on the run, guys. And he needs help. He goes to beg up the uh, the little thumb drive, and Romanov is there, and she sort of convinces him that, that she's on his side, and she tells him the first information about the Winter Soldier, um, about this person. The, the S.H.I.E.L.D. Security Council uh, pressures Pierce to activate the helicarriers, and he's like, oh, well... If you say so, I guess I'll do this thing that I've been manipulating you to do from the beginning. But mm-hmm. if you say so, I guess if I have to. Um, yeah, because Fury had tried to put the kibosh on it. He's like, we need to stop Project Insight. And now. Right. Yeah. And so Romanov and Rogers go to an Apple store to try to figure out what's on the thumb drive to get some information off of it. And they know that the encryption on there is going to bring some stuff. But we get some really fun scenes, specifically in the small between Romanov and Steve. And Angela, I know that you have some feelings about the relationship between Steve and Romanov and in this movie in particular. Yeah, um, I think... I would venture to say it's an underrated part of this movie because it's not really a, a talking point I hear people bring up much about this movie. Um, and I think it's a relationship that's was kind of unexpected, um, this friendship between Steve and Natasha. And I love how it's it's not romantic at all. It doesn't lean that way at all, really. Um, it's just pure friendship. And we see it from the beginning when they're in the Quinjet about to jump down to to the, the pirate ship um, where she's talking to him about, you know, what are you doing this weekend? And, you know, she's trying to find him a date. And then that comes up like multiple times, even after Steve kicks Sitwell off the building, <laughs> you know, then it's they go back to their small talk about, you know, how about this girl in accounting or, you know, whatever. Like they 
she keeps trying to, you know, <laughs> help Steve kind of get back in the world and, and, you know, have a life, basically. She's trying so... I, I love that she's so concerned with making this happen for him. I think that really humanizes her because... I think it's easy for people to see Black Widow as just kind of someone who's all business, you know, not really an emotional person. You know, she doesn't really get phased by anything. Um, up until we saw her get phased by the Hulk. And then I was noticing the only other time I've we've seen her get phased up to this point is in this movie by, um, by Fury's quote-unquote death. Um, she was really shaken by that. But other than that, you know, I could see people thinking she's a little se too serious, kind of robotic, you know, just very focused on her mission. And instead, she's kind of got this playful, you know, spirit and 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 fun relationship with Steve where she's kind of poking fun at him and, you know, trying to get him to to um, start dating around and, and have a life. And I also like the contrast between the two of them as characters and and kind of this is what makes them so unlikely as friends is that steve is this honest good person the most good person you could ever find and then natasha's someone who spent her life lying because she had to you know to survive i mean that was how she was brought up in in russia and and trained and and then in the service of the KGB and then S.H.I.E.L.D. and, you know, she had to lie and they're just so, such different people. And I think Steve has trouble grappling with who she is as a person and the fact that she lies and that she's so used to it. Um, and I just think we see some de character development of her and, and her maybe starting to realize what she wants out of life and that maybe it's not, especially once we find out that shield has been infiltrated by hydra and she's she's shook by that too you know she's i thought i knew the lies i was telling she says you know and so um yeah i just think that's a really cool relationship that doesn't get talked about much but is actually it somehow works um and then we see it echo later in civil war and endgame I think this is something that chris will agree with me on because something we talk about a lot but i'm glad you brought that up because one of the things i like in in films and particularly like series and you, you kind of get that from the mcu because it's almost a series just on the big screen is when you start pairing up characters that aren't necessarily like ob obvious fits um you know some of the later seasons of arrested development did this um you get this in uh, video games a lot but uh, and i think that this did an interesting job of taking these two hey we got these two characters that aren't necessarily natural fits, but in this plot they are. Let's put them together. And you almost kind of get some buddy scenes of, of Captain America and uh, Black Widow that I think are, it's just really interesting seeing how they bounce off of each other and they let it be natural. Um, and so I I really liked it. That I, To me, yeah. yes, that's not something we talk about because there's a lot to talk about in this movie, but it's an interesting uh, subplot of the movie. And was that, that wasn't really a pairing. I mean, I know that they were both Avengers and everything, but... They hadn't really been paired up much in the comics to this point, had they? No, not really. Beyond I mean, I'm sure Avengers. somewhere they were, but for the most part, they just exist as Avengers. They're not like yeah. the two Avengers that go off together. That's Hawkeye. It's... Yeah. I have an interesting theory about Black Widow. I think about 
retrospectively how I thought about Black Widow and I think what a popular opinion of Black Widow was is that she was, you know, kind of boring. Like Angela said, she was a little bit um, robotic in her performances and things like that. But so far in every movie that we've watched, I've loved Black Widow. Agreed. Uh, in in Iron Man 2 and Avengers and in this, I think she's been great. And so I think she enhances any mm-hmm. movie that in and I think honestly people just haven't given her enough credit I agree. for what she's done on the screen because she's right next to your Robert Downey Jr.'s and your Chris Evans's who are kind of hard to, you know, take your, take your eyes off of for multiple reasons, but they're hard to take your eyes off of in these movies because their performances oh are so great. And because they, you know, they're, they're the characters you're supposed to be paying attention to. Right. So you kind of, kind of like turn a blind eye to black widow, whether that's fair or not, you know, whatever, but, I, I'm starting to realize that maybe she hasn't been getting enough credit, the credit that she's been due. I think this is, I know we talk about it every time. I think this is my favorite. I was waiting Black for Widow someone to say that appearance and watching this movie today has got me really excited for her movie. Yeah. I think it's yeah. going to be really good. Um, her and Hopper are going to make a great duo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, after breaking in to the to to the base that the thumb drive led them to, the two discover a supercomputer with the consciousness of Arnim Zola. It's a weird computer guy. I, I remember um, somebody sent this in our group chat. This is months ago about um, the concept art for Arnim Zola and how he was going to be like a weird little computer guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, well and, that's what he's in Ant-Man. the comics. Yeah, he could. Yeah, because so cool. Yeah, because in the comics he's a bot, like he's a, a robot body with a TV screen on his stomach that has his face on it, and where his head would be, it's the camera that is actually on this computer. And there was concept art that they developed for him to be in the opening scene of Ant Man with Howard and Peggy, and that other guy that ends up being the bad guy. I would have liked Ant-Man. that. Yeah. So and and it was like. There were multiple versions of it. One where it was like a dummy with a TV screen sitting in front of him. Like he was like, like the dummy was holding the TV screen, which made me think of, have you ever watched Sesame Street? The guy that carries around Oscar's trash can. <laughs> That's what it reminded <laughs> me of. Um, Deep cut. Yeah. Yeah. Follow that bird. That's our next uh, side episode. So we'll do a, a Sesame Street movie rewatch. We'll do follow that bird and... <laughs> Elmo and Grouchland and whatever other Sesame Street movies there are. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so there was concept art. But yeah, so this is, I thought Zola showing up was a really great surprise. And it was a fun nod to how he appears in the comics. But yeah, it was a good way done of doing in a it. way, yeah, where it's not the robot man walking around, even though they had actually kind of hinted at it very sneakily in a freeze frame gag in First Avenger uh, a couple times, actually. But this was the spirit of that fit into this spy thriller version of Captain America that we're getting. And I just right. thought that was a really, it was a fun scene, a great surprise. From the uh, retrospective perspective, um, <laughs> I was... <laughs> retrospective perspective. <laughs> Sounds like a schoolhouse rock song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well. So he... Zola mentions that he had a terminal disease in 1972. So then that's how he became this computer guy. Um, does that mean in Endgame, because I can't remember the year that they go back 
to New Jersey in the 70s, but he was already a computer at that point. I don't know. I think it's I think it's possible because I saw this recently. I know that Howard is looking for him when he goes downstairs in Endgame. He's going, Zola? Yeah. Uh, Arnim, Arnim, are you down here? Yeah. But if you... It's impossible to see, but the visual effects people put in the very far background, it's like a long hallway, or it's like a long cavernous basement. And if you were to zoom in super, super high quality on a screen in the very, very back of that room, Zola's face is on it. Oh. So... So we think so he, he was probably it very well could be that he was already in the computers or it could be that he had a terminal illness, hadn't died yet, was still working on if he could have been he could have been while he was looking for him. He could have been working on the Zola bot. Yeah, there was definitely there would definitely have to be an overlap between when he was still alive, but also uploading his consciousness. Yeah, because that would take a long time. That is some that is some how but the some house on the hill stuff what was what was that show on netflix haunting uh, of hill house haunting of hill house oh I, yeah i, I think and of betrayal ghosts. every time i think of haunting of hill house <laughs> yeah. that is some haunting of hill house stuff because if you go back and you watch those episodes you'll notice that they like hid a bunch of ghosts throughout the show that was like in every episode that yeah that's why yeah. i went back and watched it the third time uh-huh. was because i wanted to find all the ghosts and that is very like easter eggy of them I, I want to go back and see that. Well, I like the one. I'm going to talk about the show. That's not important. <laughs> well, and since we're talking about retrospectives, I also just think that this really, this moment really made you just think in First Avenger of, oh crap, bringing on Zola was honestly like really bad. <laughs> it's that the whole, you know, convincing him to join Shield and help Shield was ultimately Shield's demise before it was even started. And and they yeah. mentioned Project Paperclip. That was the actual program that brought in former Nazi scientists uh, to work in the U.S. after World War II. That that is the actual like th- that was the actual operation. Right. That was not made up for the movie. And I also just want to say I'm very com- confused why Peggy okayed this <laughs> since she was director of Shield for a time and helped found shield well howard was the director and he probably oh so he might have okayed it yeah she was probably upset about it well that said i mean howard stark peggy you've actually watched agents agents of shield or not agents of shield um agent carter Carter, but the peggy so and i haven't but from the films i think of peggy as a realist and a pragmatist and the doctor who's given you a lot of useful information i can see thinking he's worth it and she could have thought, well, we've got him here. We right. What what danger him. is he going to be? I, I don't think. Yeah. I think I don't think there's anyone who should be expected to have. Oh, should have known he was going to upload his consciousness and build Hydra in secret. Yeah, <laughs> and there were enough actual, like like with Project Paperclip in real life. I think that's how, isn't that how Werner von Braun ended up involved with the space program? Yes. Yep. And, Absolutely. You know, so I mean, there are real life examples of. Nazi scientists who defected to America and did not evil things. So. Right. Yeah. That was the risk you took after World War II. So Zola is, he reveals to them that 
He's been undercover in S.H.I.E.L.D. this whole time. He's been working with S.H.I.E.L.D., but what he's really been doing is regrowing Hydra. He has been, you know, he says you cut off one head, two more grow back to take its place. That is essentially what has happened. When, he th- when they thought they overthrew Hydra, they actually um, regrew it. It is, it is now a beautiful tree. A, a uh, beautiful parasite. It is now a beautiful parasite. A beautiful parasite um, grown inside. And he reveals to them that he's just been stringing them along and that a missile is headed their way to come kill them. Also important here is that Hydra has shaped pretty much all of world history from World War II on. Mm -hmm. We get that uh, it's heavily implied that the Winter Soldier killed JFK. Uh, We get the first implication that the Winter Soldier killed Howard Stark. Mm -hmm. We, We at the very least get that Hydra did it. And that a lot of the unrest that has happened throughout history since World War II, Hydra has been stoking the flames of that so that their ultimate plan of bringing world, a world order can come to fruition and that people, as we said at the beginning, yep. would embrace this. So chaotic. Like they acted all those terrors and, and all this chaos that people kind of go back to even what Loki said in the Avengers about people craving subjugation. You know, where people are so scared, they're like, okay, well, we'll just have, uh, you know, have these people take care of us. They'll, they'll keep us safe. You think Tony what's, and... What's, uh, what's, what's the freedom if I'm, at least I'm alive? You think Tony and T'Challa ever get together to reminisce about how the Winter Soldier killed their dads? Not anymore. <laughs> Good point. That's a... That's a shame that we'll never get the Illuminati. That would be what the Illuminati was founded on. But, but oh. he didn't kill T'Challa's dad. Yeah, that but he, he thinks cool. he does. Well, he found out at the end that yeah, he... That's fair. Yeah. But for that, that split be, second, he thought uh, he did. Forgot about Illuminati. Now I'm sad. Oh, uh, well. So a missile is sent to destroy the bunker in which they're in, but the two narrowly escape. And then we get the Winter Soldier showing up at Pierce's house. We kind of really get the real... Um, kind of confirmation that Pierce is like not a good dude, that he's actually been, you know, the bad guy this whole time. And then he shoots his housekeeper because he's an asshole. Um, <laughs> uh, he kind of confirms that he's part of Hydra, that he is part of this. We, I think this is where we get the first, I don't know if this was in the notes here, but this is where we get the first, we get the, um, um, no, it's just after this, actually. So the it's just after this, yeah. The three, well, because first they got to go meet Sam. Right, they're going to, they're head right yeah. now, they head over to meet Sam. Um, who offers Everyone to help? Knows them. trying to kill us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Sam kind of talks about how he wants to join and how he was never—he never said he was a pilot, um, and that he—he he has sort of skills that he can use to help them. So, Chris, Sam Wilson's great, right? He is. I am a big Sam Wilson fan, and he was a character I did not know really much about going into it. I knew that he was the Falcon. That was all I knew. Oh, and that, and that he had wings somehow that I thought were part of a suit. <laughs> uh, I don't think I knew I was missing out on the fact that he could talk to birds, even. Uh, <laughs> but I went in not knowing much about him, and I left that movie going, man, I want him to be in all the Marvel movies now. Yep. And then he was in, with the exception of Guardians of the Galaxy, he was then in like the next few Marvel movies. He was in Ant-Man. He was in Ultron. He was in Civil War. Right, he became the like, Avenger. He- you don't have to pay a lot to show up in a cameo. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i was all for it because i thought right. it was great i thought from his introduction at the very beginning uh with the whole on your left stuff and then the conversation that he and steve have 
and they have a very they very quickly bond over their shared experiences of being a soldier. Now, of course, yes. Steve, different kind of soldier than than Sam. Right. Uh, Sam, did, did they said what he was in Iraq? Was it? Or am I just assuming I can't, that? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, I might just be assuming that, but he. He doesn't talk about what kind of soldier he was, but they they bond over the very real, at least what I imagine, the very real experiences that you share when, because Sam says to him, "Hey, you, it must be must have been weird coming back, uh, coming home after all of that," and they they bond over the fact that your bed feels strange after you've been living as a soldier for so long. You come back to your bed and it feels too big, too soft, and. It just seems very real, and and Steve visits him a little bit later, where Sam actually runs a support group for soldiers who are dealing with uh, looks like post traumatic stress disorder, and and it's you know, and you see right away, you understand why Steve likes him, right? Because much like Steve, he has a very good heart, and he is doing the best he can to help others because he can do that, and. He mentions that he lost his wingman, and that's why Steve assumes he's a pilot. And then, when when Steve and, and Natasha are looking for a place to go, the first person Steve thinks of is, "Well, I don't know him very well, but I trust him. I I, I know that he's a good person." They go to Sam, and when Sam Sam volunteers to help, and that's when he reveals that he was part of a special program, uh, wearing a, like an exosuit or whatever you want to call it, called the Falcon. And mm-hmm. that is how he ends up joining them. But, but yeah, just just an instant. You see in this movie, and th- and again, this hadn't even been introduced in the comic books yet. But you see in this movie how he could be the person that Steve Absolutely. would decide. He's when I'm done. He's Captain America. Absolutely. And one of th- maybe his wingman was Red Wing. That's dark. Yeah. Well, <laughs> his wingman was Riley. <laughs> And he said, and red, he gets a red wing. In yeah, the he Civil does get War. red wing. See, uh, he's a little robot. His red wing know. gets the Zola realistic treatment. Maybe uh, yeah. Riley is red wing Scarlet Witch alias. Well, and I had this yeah. in my notes that I, I'm surprised they didn't say that his code name was Red Wing because that sounds like the sort of thing yeah. you, you would have done. Maybe <laughs> yes. the real red wings were the memories we made along the way. Right. There's, <laughs> and one of the things I had in my notes that really stood out for me from my repeated rewatches of the movie is that he's not only a treat in this film, he's a treat the first time he's on screen. The uh-huh. way that, like, Captain America is talking to him, and there's not any sort of intimidation. There's, yeah, I know who you are, and I'm going to sass you anyway. It's, uh-huh. I, I really like that. It's... Yeah, he says, Steve Rogers. Yeah, I figured that out. <laughs> yeah, Anthony Mackie's great, and I'm going to talk about my favorite Anthony Mackie, like, moment, even though it's not part of this at all. There's, like, a, there's like some sort of con where it's um, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie, and um, Tom Holland. And oh, they're like gosh. all sitting on a couch and they're talking about something. And at one point, Anthony talks about how he hadn't seen Homecoming yet. And Tom is like, what are you talking about? Like, I can't believe you haven't seen Homecoming. And he's like, yeah, well, I just haven't gotten to it yet. Like, sorry. And he's like, Tom's like, well, I haven't seen the Falcon movie yet. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a really good burn. And the look on his face after that, he just like. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, oh, man. Now that that has nothing to do with this, let's go back to the movie. Yes. <laughs> so uh, the three 
determine that they're going to go. They're going to they're going to take care of Sitwell, who is um, another the the person that they assume is working with Pierce. They're going to go find him. They're going to get him some information out of him, and we get the first uh, what will become a longstanding tradition of whispering "Hail Hydra" in someone's ear. <laughs> The scene that sparked a thousand memes yep. and a thousand yep. photo edits. And... Bless. Oh gosh, I still have a photo album in my phone that is just called Hail Hydra, and it is all the Hail Hydra memes from that time. <laughs> Sitwell tells the three that Zola created an algorithm to predict whether or not someone is a danger to Hydra. Once the helicarriers are activated, they will use the algorithm to eliminate all threats across the globe autonomously and quickly. There are a couple things I want to mention about this scene. One, we get Gary Shandling back as Senator Stern from Iron Man 2, mm-hmm. and it turns out he's Hydra. And I remember actually seeing, I was a little upset because it was almost a spoiler, but not quite, but Patton Oswalt, I guess, saw the premiere of the movie. And one of the things he tweeted, it was one of those things where it's like, well, I guess it's not technically a spoiler, but he said, the first person that said Hail Hydra blew his mind. And my mind was also blown when it turned out to be Gary Shandling right? <laughs> for multiple reasons. One, it's Gary Shandling <laughs> saying Hail Hydra. Um, but then also the fact that, oh, wow, the jerk senator from Iron Man 2 was actually working with Hydra right. all along. And that just put a whole new spin on that scene. Gary Shandling and Robert Redford said Hail Hydra in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Shandling and Robert Redford were in the same movie. Uh <laughs> That's also Gary strange. Shandling passed away. Yes, he did. Oh, yeah. Oh, you didn't bring, know that? Bring it down. Yeah, <laughs> just like, bring it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like last year, I think. Yeah, that's sad. Twenty sixteen, actually. I, oh, wow. oh wow, wow, it's been that long. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's when we started right, oh, this podcast. Second thing I wanted <laughs> this episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the second thing I want to bring up about the scene is the them intimidating Sitwell. Where Sitwell's like, come on, Steve, uh, Cap, you're not going to throw me off uh, throw me off the building. That's not your style. He goes, no, that's right. It's hers. And then Natasha just kicks him off the building. And as he's falling down screaming, that's when they have the little chat about, oh, what about that girl from uh, from the front desk? Oh, she's got lip piercing. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> and, and then Falcon swooping up and tossing him back. And then we get our first Stephen Strange shout out. Because they, right. the they talk about all the people that Insight is seeing as targets. He goes, you... Newscaster in Cairo, which I know some people are saying might be Moon Knight, but we'll see. Um, there's a Spelling Bee champion. Uh, Bruce Banner, Stephen Strange. He's just listing all these people, and he just name drops Stephen Strange like it's like it's nothing. And then he gets his own movie. Yep, exactly. So uh, they decide to capture Sitwell. They are in a car, and they get attacked by the Winter Soldier. And obviously things go awry. Now, Angelus is another one of those kind of car chases that for me maybe ran a little long. I think this one was maybe a little better than the previous one. I think the Nick Fury one went a little longer than this one. It was just a little, I think um, having Cap be a little bit more uh, involved and kind of like the actual people a little bit more involved, but it was still very bullets, uh, like reflecting off of vehicles and things like that. I have written in my notes, Z, 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 Oh my God. <laughs> no, I, I was kind of with you on the, on the Nick Fury f- car chase, but uh, there's such a cool moment in this one where Natasha jumps uh, when the Winter Soldier's on top of the car and she jumps and it's, it's fast. But what she's doing is she's moving uh, Steve and uh, Sam out of the way of where she knows the bullets are coming. And, mm. and 
that's a cool shot. There's lots of cool shots in this excellent fight scene that I or car chase and fight scene that I will watch a hundred times. When she sees when she's running and then she sees his shadow from the top of yep. the bridge, she's like, no, not going that way. Mm-hmm. Tricking him with the phone. Ooh, yes. I like the, I like the phone trick too. Yeah. yeah. The, phone, the phone trick is clever. Yeah. She's just she's actually what Loki wants to be. She's the real <laughs> trickster god. Yeah. No, she is. She is. No, I think but it's the, a good scene, and and obviously you get the reveal uh, at the end of that scene, which is really important. Um, I yeah, don't know. There's just yeah. When good. okay, the fight between Steve and Bucky. First of yes. all, uh, that that's Crazy such that's, an, that's another great close up scene. Very visceral. The way it's shot with the handheld camera. Uh, the Winter Soldier does this knife flip. That's just really cool. Oh yeah, like when he's he keeps trying to like slash at him yes. with a knife and like he has like two or three moments where Steve blocks his like knife punch, if you uh-huh. will, and he drops the knife and catches it with his other hand and goes in for another knife punch and it's like yeah. really clever and well shot. Like that's the scene that I thought of when Eduardo was mentioning other than the elevator. When Eduardo was mentioning that the choreographed fights are like are like dances like that scene feels like a dance between yes. bucky and steve yeah and it's it's specifically just it's just so fun to watch too you yeah you get your shot of bucky holding the shield which once again foreshadows nothing right <laughs> womp womp well yeah. i think what's cool about bucky holding the shield and and then like when he caught the shield and the first time we see him when steve throws his shield at him what I think's cool about that is thinking back to Captain America and the First Avenger when Bucky has the shield for a hot second in the the train car and he can barely hold on to it. Like he's cuz he's yeah. so much weaker than Steve. He can't handle this big vibranium shield and he tries to use it to block shots and you know gets knocked back from it cuz it's just too much for him and then to see now how powerful he is how strong he is so i think that contrast is kind of neat yeah anyway just to show that he's like on par with steve now in terms of strength i want to throw this in here we don't know that the foreshadowing means nothing because yes at the end of endgame cap entrusts the shield to sam but with falcon and the winter soldier coming out they could have some really cool like shared captain america moments where it's true say like say like they're running and Sam throws the shield at a guy and it deflects off of him and Bucky catches it and then rams some guy with it. Like, you know, maybe they have like these cool combo moments. Like, yeah. That. Yep. Yeah. Combo. I, I will right. say like, that. It wouldn't be the Captain America, but he could still use the shield, you know? That's true. And, and I don't want to sound like I'm complaining because I'm not, I actually, I, I like Bucky better as a winter soldier than I like him as Captain America. Agreed. I don't think, I don't yeah. think he makes sense as, as much sense as Captain America as no. as sam does because he has that opinion. darkness right you know sam yeah. doesn't ever really have that darkness right he's, he's yeah. always like a stand-up dude yeah do you feel like bucky is on a mission of atonement now right yeah i will yeah. say but, about this scene though it's yet another someone else brought this up i think it was angela about like how do you explain what's going on we've got some we got a dude with a gatlin gun shooting up a bus and like when you think about it, where, where where did we? What is this? How are you gonna How are you gonna cover this in the news? And then then mm. in the middle of it, Captain America is arrested. Like it's 
Yeah. It's kind of a kind of a weird thing. I mean, it doesn't hold back the movie for me and it's a really fun scene, but you do kind of spend time if you think about it like what what how do you this is in broad daylight in public where where is the explanation going to come from? Yeah. Is this the scene you were telling me about at lunch today where he escapes from being pursued by them by like No, that's earlier in the the Nick Fury escape. Oh, okay, that's right. He, yeah, he that's right. Cuts out of his car with something that he probably could have used to defend himself, but only uses to cut through asphalt. Yeah, right. According to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Leo Fitz invented that. Oh, oh of course. Yeah, because they, they ended up using it on the show. Like It was either like <laughs> an episode before, like a couple episodes before, or a couple episodes after the movie came out, uh, they used it. And uh, I think they even made Got some it. comment about how Nick Fury liked it. Um, hmm. My... The great thing in this scene, of course, is while they're fighting and Bucky's mask comes off and Steve actually sees that it's Bucky and he, and he says yeah. Bucky and you get that that shot of his face and he goes, who the hell's Bucky? And right. I got excited because this is the, one of those rare times uh, where I had actually read the comic before I saw the movie. And that shot and that line is directly from the Winter Soldier comic. Yeah. So it was it was very exciting because it was one of the things where like oh that's probably going to be in right. the movie, but it was still really cool and it's really well done and it doesn't and it's not one of those things where it's just recreating the comic book scene just to make uh, just to do that. It makes sense in context and it, it's it's a it's a neat nod yep. to the original book. And so, and the mask is knocked off, we find out it's Bucky, and I'm really curious, Peaches, did you already know that the Winter Soldier was Bucky before you saw the movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it- that was, so at this point, at this point, because of my investment in Avengers, like, and the Facebook game that I was playing, Avengers mm-hmm. Alliance, like, I knew a lot about the characters before the movies were coming out. So I knew that the Winter Soldier was going to be Bucky because, because of that sort of thing. And I, I have this obsession with, um, like when a new movie is coming out, I love to got it. Like really research those characters and figure out what's going on so that I can try to surmise the plot, uh, if you will. Um, and so I was like, oh yeah, that's Bucky. I'm just I actually to... remember seeing this movie twice, and the first time I saw it was opening day. It was part of the Captain America marathon, so I was seeing it with a bunch of super fans. Saw it like a week later with a much smaller audience, and I'm pretty sure when the mask came off. I heard a lady in the audience go, oh, that's his friend. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm, I'm curious about. Awesome. And I don't think this is the right venue for me to find out. But just I wondered for the uninitiated, was that like an interesting plot twist? Like, oh, didn't see that coming. Or and, and I kind of wonder because that movie doesn't really do much talking about Bucky in that film. So it's not it doesn't necessarily sell. Well, Bucky's going to show up. Bucky's going to show up. It glosses over him in the Smithsonian scene and that's it. And then he does show up. And so I've always wondered, is this? A legitimate twist that surprises people or is it uh, yeah obviously that's bucky my wife yeah. knew um without me telling her my wife knew it was bucky but she also knows the plot of every movie three seconds after the movie starts because she just has supernatural storytelling understanding <laughs> abilities yeah so the three are then captured by uh by this group of Hydra agents masquerading as S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. And as they are in transport to presumably be executed, 
we find out that our very own Maria Hill is in there and she saves them. She cuts a hole in the bottom of their, their Jeep, it looks like, and she gets them out of there and they go off to an undisclosed location to see that surprise, surprise, Nick Fury is still alive and kicking. I can't believe he lied again. My goodness, his what? secrets have secrets. Yeah. He used a pill that Bruce Banner invented to slow down his heart rate to one beat per minute. Uh, Rogers, to fake his death. Rogers then kind of figures that Bucky must have been sort of brainwashed and he must have been given some sort of super soldier serum like he was um, back when he, you know, back in that, that time period. And Pierce meets with the Winter Soldier who, like, he's, like, on a chair and he's, like, freaking out and he, like, punches a guy and then they tell him to wipe his memory and, boy, that whole thing gave me the heebie-jeebies also. It seemed like it was super painful, like the, like, lightning thing that, like, goes over his face and, like, erases his memories. My, uh, I can't get through the scene without sharing the fun fact that Ed Brubaker, the comic writer who created the Winter Soldier, has a cameo in that scene too. Oh, neat! I did yeah, not know that. He's, uh, when when there's the shot, when you get the shot from Bucky's point of view of Pierce talking to him, he's the guy on the, with the beard on the left side of the screen. So while all this is happening, Bucky is sort of getting these visions of the first movie, and and Chris, you wanted to talk about how this relates um, as a sequel. Um, you know, from these these flashbacks, we get sort of like images of the first movie, but how this kind of works so well as a sequel in general. Yeah, because this movie is still, even though it, it's post-Avengers, but it is also a sequel to Captain America, the first Avenger, which it's hard to do. And it, it has a completely different tone and feel to it, but I think it does a really good job of being a continuation of that movie as well, which... I think it's very tricky because this is a movie that is set 70 years after the previous movie. But, and by necessity, only two of the major characters in it were in Captain America, the first Avenger. That's what happens when 70 years pass. The only people that can stick around and have any real bearing on the plot are the people that got frozen and, and missed out on several decades of stuff. You get your your Peggy Carter Peggy Carter cameo. You get a couple other flashbacks here and there, but for the most part it is it's a completely different setting and you would think that that would be very hard to follow up. But by having it the plot boil down to Cap versus Hydra again, it is still it still manages to continue on from the first movie, not to mention making it personal by bringing Bucky into it, by making Bucky the Winter Soldier. Now, not only is it a continuation of Cap's fight against Hydra that he started in World War Two, but now you have the emotional tether of that's my best friend. He's brainwashed. I need to save him. And the three of the other leads in this movie, Natasha, Fury and Hill have been introduced in other movies. So they managed to fill out this whole, like they filled out the supporting cast without having to introduce an entirely new supporting cast because of the nature of the MCU. They could draw people from other movies and bring them into this one. So yeah, there are new characters introduced, some of them very important like Sam. But if you look at all the important characters, they're characters that we've met before, just not necessarily in the context of a Captain America movie. 
and by using shield and then of course shield ends up destroyed by the end of this but it really uses the shared universe well to allow it to be a sequel to a couple things but most importantly a sequel to captain america and you get i i really enjoy the way they re- they refer to some of the other movies in this you get a couple nods to iron man you get them saying oh yeah the uh the helicarriers are repulsor use repulsor engines after Stark got a close up look at them. He decided to make a few changes. You get the, that nod to Bruce Banner. I just mentioned. So there are a couple fun nods here and there, but it still feels like it is Captain America two. And I'm very interested when we get to Captain America civil war, seeing if people feel like it did that, it managed to pull that off or not, but we'll, we'll put a pin on that discussion but that that was just what i want to say about this is that even it being set in a completely different time period completely different tone it still feels like yes this is the natural follow-up to the first avenger yes well yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of figure out what nick fury's plan is from this point on we get um they're essentially going to try to take down these helicarriers um, with these little chips. Each of the helicarriers have to have its own chip inserted into it for them to be taken down. All three of them have to be taken down or else it won't work because just one of them could still cause mass destruction and a significant number of deaths. Um, So Cap then vows to take down not just Hydra, but shield. And he basically becomes sort of the head here, you know, uh, Fury gives him, oh, I guess you're giving the orders now, Cap, uh, kind of a thing where he's basically saying you're in charge now because, you know, clearly Fury feels some sort of responsibility for whatever uh, for everything that's happened. And I've thought about this movie a lot in terms of what it means. I, I think about that scene in the rooftop where they're sort of talking about what information is and how the 21st century works and how all this information is available and like, how could we not know who was going to do something? How could we not know who would be a problem because of all the information that's available? And that's such an alien concept to Steve, just like so many other things in this movie that are alien concepts to Steve, because he's not part of this time period. He is battling with Hydra, but he's also battling with just the future in general, what it's like to be a person from his time period and specifically having the morals and sort of life um, experiences that he has and being trapped in this time period. It's not just about Hydra. It's about sort of where the world has gone and how he wants to bring it back to the ideals that he was fighting for. Like when he is fighting for America and for the world in the first movie, he has a picture in his head of what the world is going to be in, you know, in 70 years. And then he travels that time period and it's not what he thought it would be. It's completely different. And a lot of the evils that he thought he had worked hard to remove are still there. So I think the movie does a really good job of kind of kind of using that, like just as you said, as, as being a sequel, but in, in, in a different way when it's talking about sort of the future and him sort of grasping to what it's like to be a man in the past living in the future. Yeah, I know in the development of this movie, the Russo brothers talked a lot about they looked at Stan Lee writing Captain America in the 60s and 70s and really wanted to emphasize that man out of time thing that Stan Lee liked so much. And that was a lot of their inspiration for this film. And I think that they really hit the nail on the head with that and in exactly the way you said. Now, 
Peaches, you like this movie, right? Yeah, it's all right. You, 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 you can say you really like this movie. So much so that you barely got any notes in here, man, because you like the movie so much. Yeah, I alluded to that earlier, too. It's just hard to... It was hard to focus on trying to take notes while this movie is playing in the background because it's just so gripping. Even when you know the plot, like it's just entertaining to watch. And at the end of the day, the only... Like everything that I've said so far, that's a nitpick is literally just that it's just a nitpick. Uh, like I, I, I'd have to try really hard to take a dump on this movie. Um, like, like I would say that I think maybe the hairstyle choices of Steve <laughs> and Natasha were not great in this. Her movie. hair is the worst. Her hair is so <laughs> bad. It so like much. it looks like she got a really bad tan and also. a a horrible hairdo at the same time like her skin tone doesn't match how dark red they made her hair and it's weird to see it so straight after every other movie it has not been like perfect parallel lines down the side of her face um and steve totally like we all know that he is not this character but his hairstyle makes him look like a total frat douchebag like he's got sideburns down to his mid cheeks like he's got the like swoop with the 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 cut in the side and he just he kind of looks like he came right out of not another teen movie but he was <laughs> like and and that's the most I can crap on this movie because there's just there's just nothing that I feel is that bad to say about it yep. um uh the the one other thing that comes to mind and we didn't talk about right after the elevator fight is he escapes the elevator and he's running out of the shield facility and then he like takes down a jet all by himself which is really cool and it's mostly believable until the very last part of it because what he does is he's on his motorcycle and he's riding toward the jet and he throws his shield into one of the like propellers and it jams in there so far still believable then he jumps up onto the plane and like removes the shield from the propeller and it starts freaking out as a propeller would if something had been ripped out of it and still believable. And then while he's on top of the jet, he like whips his shield at these two like little crevices that are poking out of each side. If you look at it like symmetrically and it goes ping, ping, like pong. And when it goes ping, ping, it causes too many like Michael Bay explosions on the jet. Like, dude, I know you're very strong, but you're not throw your shield at the outside of a jet along the smooth steel parts and they blow up strong. Like, that's a little much. And that's how like that's a super nitpick, obviously, because (laughs) it's entertaining as hell even then. You know what made that scene better? If when he throws the shield in there and it jams in there, if he would have said you just got jammed. I think that would have. <laughs> yeah. I think that would have included. To be fair, the scene. To be fair, he did have a weird quippy thing at the end. He didn't say anything, but after he does the little ping pong move and then does like a front flip off of the jet he just destroyed, he like looks into the camera and smirks and then runs away. <laughs> I assume he Naruto run away. Uh, yeah, run. that's the only run is not a word. Don't just clip that out. Can you dolphin noise me saying run? <laughs> nope. <laughs> he ran away. 
<laughs> so Rogers breaks into the Smithsonian and takes back takes back his World War II costume. He's in full World War II uniform at this point with the red, white, and blue and the big old A on top of his forehead. Um, and him, Hill, and Wilson sneak back into the Triskelion and he gives that speech that I had a quote from at the top of the of the of the podcast. And it's a really, really engaging speech and sets a lot of his character. And Robbie, you wanted to speak just a little bit about Cap's character in general. Yeah, honestly, this is what we've talked about the whole podcast. So a lot of my the points I wanted to make, you guys have already made the whole time. Uh, but something I really think about Phase 2, and we talked about this quite a bit in the, the Iron Man 3 episode, is these movies had to stand up in the post-Avengers world and still exist as individual films that didn't need the avengers and had to justify we just had this great team-up movie how are we supposed to just watch one dude uh from that team or in this case two with uh, uh black widow do their thing without the whole team and this movie does the best job of that it is absolutely compelling on its own um it develops the character and in ways that are then that make sense from where he was in phase one and then makes sense going forward in the future of the film. And also something we talked about in Iron Man 3 was it's kind of weird. Like, okay, so th- there's this world-threatening Mandarin thing going on. And Iron Man's the only one that does anything about it. In this case, it makes a lot of sense that no one knows what's going on. Maybe maybe Tony, or maybe Steve could have tried to get a hold of Tony or something like that. But really, he doesn't know who to trust. And so he ends up being mostly on his own. And so the plot makes sense in terms of, why aren't the Avengers here? Why is it just Captain America trying to do this on his own? But then just, it, it, we've already talked about how great this movie does of setting, establishing who Captain America is in this universe, uh, both in his fight sequences, you know, we get his fighting style and how he's using his shield, uh, his relationship with Falcon, his relationship with Buggy, but also his relationship with the U.S. government at this point and not trusting, you know, this this espionage stuff and you know, really just being willing to stand up for what's right, regardless of the cost. And I just think it was, it was just all done so well in here. And on top of that, just really proved in the middle of phase two, that it doesn't have to be in a movie with all of the Avengers to be good. And in fact, I think we're all going to agree that this movie is far better than the next team up movie was. Sad. Yes. Mm -hmm. We'll agree real quick. Do we know that, um, and this would be super convenient for the purposes of that discussion, but do we know that Iron Man 3, Thor 2, and Winter Soldier are not all happening in the MCU simultaneously, even though they chronologically, film-wise, were released one after the other? Do we, like, maybe that's the reason none of them can help each other. I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of spells out when some of this stuff is happening, because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. handles extremists, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. handles stuff going on with Asgard, and then Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. really dealt with Winter Soldier. Um, Yeah, this was the biggest crossover they had, was because I remember when this was happening, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. always has a post-credits type scene at the end of every episode and for the episode i think it was on thursdays at this point might have been tuesday podcast yeah yeah (laughs) they the post-credit scene was literally a shortened version of nick fury getting attacked by the winter soldier yes and and the commercials said 
go see Captain America Winter Soldier and then watch us next week. And I had to like, leave. Like, they were very specifically telling people, like, don't watch the next episode if you're planning on seeing Winter Soldier until you've seen Winter Soldier. Yep. Because there was a cliffhanger and then in the next episode of S.H.I.E.L.D., you found out that Hydra had infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. And that's when and that season got out, good, too. Yeah, like, it started to pick up a little bit. Like, I think when Bill Paxton showed up is when it started yep. to get good. And then you find out that he was actually part of Hydra as well. And Nick Fury showed up in the season finale. And it got really good from there. Because from there, it was actually dealing with the fallout of the movie. Right. And you kind of figured out, oh, that's why it felt like it was dragging its feet at times. Was because... They were waiting for this. They couldn't really do anything. Their hands were tied when they said, we're going to make a S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. But just so you know, one of our next movies... And shield. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember I had to leave that episode on my DVR because I didn't get to the theaters right away to watch Winter Soldier. So I had to yeah. not watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which at that point I was paying attention to until I saw this uh-huh. movie. And then and then I got it. So. <laughs> so. So then Rumlow. Yeah, Rumlow threatens a S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, officer who refuses to dispatch the helicarriers. Helicarriers, helicarriers, helicarriers on captain's orders. Um, he's then rescued yeah. by Sharon, beginning a, a like a fight from the room, kind of like uh, all the sh- the Hydra agents and all the Shield agents who are trying to take a stand of all like kind of are starting to confront each other. And Rumlow activates the carriers himself. They go under the air. Um, Romanov, who has been part of the World Council, while this is all going on, the World Council is there, and Romanov has been disguised as one of the World Council members, and she kind of saves the World Council for a sec, uh, revealing Nick Fury is still alive to Pierce. Um, they then begin an upload process of uploading all of the kind of information um, from Hydra as well as Shield into the internet, so that anybody can access it. WikiLeaks. Um, and uh, yeah. Pierce doesn't like this very much. He kind of takes Romanov hostage because she's got the little like pin that he was that she was given, and it's exploded on everybody else's chest, but hasn't exploded on hers. She zaps herself, and Nick Fury is able to pop a couple caps in Pierce to you know to put him to rest. Well, I gotta say, I love the way Redford reacts, or when Fury walks in, he just sort of makes his face like, oh, of course he's alive. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now while S.H.I.E.L.D.'s kind of in a, in a fight for itself, Captain and Falcon are trying to take down these helicarriers. Captain takes down one helicarrier. Captain and Falcon. Falcon! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Captain goes to one, he's able to successfully change out one of the chips. Falcon goes to another one, he's able to change out one of the chips successfully after, you know, f- uh, dodging some bullets from some fighter jets, and they both end Such up on the cool third scene. helicarrier. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the Winter Soldier is there, and he kicks Cap off the first helicarrier, and he kind of lands at the bottom, and then he rips one of Falcon's wings off and kicks him off the helicarrier, and all of this is really cool. And then we get a very large fight scene between Bucky and Steve, and it's a very cool fight scene that ends with Steve being able to successfully add the chip. They're able to successfully get all three of the, the helicarriers to blow each other up, like a weird, like... Kind of mm-hmm. three people standing in a circle <laughs> with speaking of the with office. finger guns. <laughs> um, Mexican standoff, <laughs> and they all kind of blow uh, blow each other up. And Bucky ends up saving Steve after he kind of convinces him that you know 
we know each other. And you can kind of tell that, that Bucky doesn't necessarily understand the connection between him and Steve, but that he understands that there is one there. And the movie mm. kind of closes um, with sort of shield in, in disarray while Hydra agents are getting kind of arrested everywhere. Romanov decides she's going to go off and do her own thing. Um, Steve's like, you know, I'm not going to be part of this Hydra, this shield stuff anymore. This is like not for me. And everybody kind of like goes in their own separate direction at the end of this movie, which is going to kind of lead into the next big team up that we see, which will end up being um, Age of Ultron. Oh, and Steve meets Fury at Fury's grave. Yeah, that's kind of weird. <laughs> which has the uh, Pulp Fiction quote on it. Does it? Yeah, it has the Bible quote that Samuel L. Jackson. Wait, the does it really? Bible quote. The strike yes, down it, with great vengeance. Yeah, it's it says Ezekiel whatever, and then it says the path of the righteous man. Dot dot. dot. I have never <laughs> paid attention to that. Yeah, that's which that's amazing. not even the actual Bible quote, so it is definitely a Pulp Fiction reference, and it's amazing. Hey, Eduardo, real quick, yeah. I just want to—I just need to know how satisfying was it for you seeing those helicarriers get blown oh, up? Oh God, there? it was so great. <laughs> what was really nice is that I was like watching them get blown up, and I was like, man, I'm never going to have to sit through a boring conference room scene ever again. Those things are just going to be gone, and we're going to get exciting locations from now on. Hey, you know your favorite Marvel movie starts with a conference room scene. What's my favorite Marvel movie? Ant-Man. <laughs> I thought his favorite was Black Panther, favorite. which just has a bunch of boring throne room scenes. Oh, Whoa. Oh, <laughs> boring throne room scenes. Ah, yes. The conference room that we all sit in every day, but a throne room that you've never been in, that's that's the boring one. Yeah, that makes sense. You know what? It's too early for this. <laughs> all right? <laughs> we, we're trying really hard not to say this, but we'll get to it in a future episode. Yeah. <laughs> Man, we made it so long. I know, I know. post credit scenes. Baron von Strucker in a Hydra base discusses the Age of Miracles being ushered in from exper- experimenting on Loki's scepter and reveals Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver who are going to play large roles, one of them for the rest of the MCU and another specifically in Age of Ultron. And then Bucky mm-hmm. visits uh, the Captain America zip- exhibit in the Smithsonian. Um, and that's kind of how the movie ends, kind of. Yeah, sees, sees the memorial to himself. Right. <laughs> Which has his life story on it. Right. MVPs, Robbie, start us off. Who's the MVP of this movie? Um, so, it's boring. It would have been Falcon, or maybe even Secretary Pierce, if not for the price-to-pay speech, but it's Steve Rogers. Uh, I completely agree i think it's steve i think it's america's ass baby it's there's there's only one person in this movie who i think really kind of captures it and i think it's steve and i think it's hard not to give it to steve um and i almost hesitate to because he's like the title (laughs) character and it's kind of like the easy thing to do to just be like it's steve isn't it and it's like but no it really is like his character is just so great in this movie it's hard to to, to kind of deny it so what's an ass baby <laughs> i'll tell you when you're older tiny donkey oh okay i also think it's steve wow but specifically i think it's his legs because damn <laughs> seriously he just kicks so hard if you did not rewatch the winter soldier and you're listening to this podcast Finish it out because we're almost done. And then go watch the movie and count how many awesome kicks that he does. Count as far them. as I'm concerned, those are America's legs. They're America's connected to ass. 
Yeah. <laughs> I also have Steve uh, just barely beating out Falcon and Pierce. Yeah. Uh, but but Steve being the he's just this he's the moral center of the Marvel universe, really. And and this movie is a great demonstration of why. It, again, it's it's I think it's such a hard job to do Captain America well. And we almost forget that because Chris Evans and the filmmakers have handled that character so well throughout the entire saga that it's we, we almost forget like how hard that would have been to pull off. And the fact that they take the 1940s character and then make him work in this modern setting just as well, if not better, is is great. So, <laughs> um, sorry, I wasn't sure if you were going to call on me or not. Oh, no, I was just um, going to look at you because it's a podcast. <laughs> um, Cap is a really close second for me. I, I didn't get to say it earlier, but I got to say, the first time I saw this in the theater and that scene on the pirate ship when he's confronting Batroc and Batroc says something to him along the lines of like, you know, are you anything without that shield? Or, like, could you beat me without I thought you were more than just a shield. Sure, that. Yeah. Um, and Steve puts the shield on his back, takes his helmet off, and he says, on va voir. And I was like, like, there were hearts in my eyes. <laughs> I was just so in love in that moment. I was like, Captain America, Steve just spoke French. Like... <laughs> As if he weren't perfect enough at everything else, he also speaks French. And I just, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe. But all that said, I picked Natasha. (laughs) 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 Just because, just because, (laughs) just because kind of like what I spoke about earlier, I just think her character development and her friendship with Steve is so unexpected and so great. And, and, and I just really on this you know, rewatch this retrospective going back through the movies. I appreciate her a lot more and her her character arc and everything. And I think I think it's really well done in this movie. So yeah. 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 It's that time again, folks. It's time for our ratings. Robbie, what are you gonna give Captain America, the winter soldier? I give it nine overly large thumb drives out of ten. <laughs> I am also giving Captain America the Winter Soldier nine weird computer men out of ten. <laughs> Peach, what about you? I was I was waiting to see how you were going to say that because it's like, okay, you're weird. Now, I also gave it nine operational air conditioning units out of ten. Well, unlike the rest of you, I gave it nine <laughs> secretly evil senators out of ten. So weird that nine is German. Uh, (laughs) I gave it no, (laughs) no, 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 no. I gave it eight and a half pieces of bubble gum out of burner. (laughs) Now let's see where this movie fits in in our ranking so far. I'm going to start this one, even though we don't have it in this order on the rankings because I have it at the top of mine and I am surprised that I am the only one. I was going into this expecting that there was going to be a clear new number one and everybody was going to kind of be on the same page here, but it does not look to be that way. And uh, these lists are very 
uh, eclectic and I appreciate it. So Robbie, what's your list look like now? Uh, I'm going to tell you it's narrow. So Avengers ahead of Winter Soldier, but it's it's almost a tie. It's if I'm in the mood for something that's just pure fun or if I'm in the mood for, you know, something that's kind of a, a convoluted spy thriller that takes three hours to talk about. It's it, they're both <laughs> clearly at the top at this point, but I'm going to give in Avengers the narrow edge of a Winter Soldier. What about you, Chris? Yeah, my, my top three are might as well be 1A, 1B and 1C if I'm being honest at this point, but I have Avengers first Avenger winter soldier and then everything else. Oh, wow. And again, it's so, so, so close. Uh, I'll, I'm just, I think I'm more likely kind of like what Angela has said. If I'm just trying to think of, Oh, what movie do I want to watch? I'm more likely going to go to one of those first two because I think they're a little bit more, fun and easy to watch than winter soldier that being said i love the hell out of this movie so i can't really say anything different than y'all have already said i still have avengers at number one winter soldier is number two they were both ranked nines for me um and i thought about putting it first eduardo it it, it's just gonna be one of those like robbie said it's gonna be one of those mood things like avengers is constantly fun um winter soldier has a lot of moments of fun but winter soldier has crazy non-stop uh emotional action and avengers isn't necessarily as emotional uh so it's just i guess whatever i'm in the mood for at the time you could you could flop those mm-hmm. um i have but these first two are super super close it's like splitting hairs um i have captain america the first avenger and then avengers um, and then Winter Soldier close after. Um, I'm going to go through the rest of mine just because I haven't been on all y'all's episodes leading up to this. Um, I have Iron Man after that, then Thor, then Iron Man 3, then Iron Man 2, then Dark World, then Hulk. So Eduardo <laughs> is still wrong about Iron that. Man 3. No, I, love that. I don't think I am because I she gave it a 6.5 and it's not that high on her list. Just because it's not at the bottom doesn't mean it's a... Angela, real quick, what were your thoughts on Iron Man 3? Yeah, real quick. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Her time. thoughts were that it's better um, than Hulk. Yeah, it's not important. Yeah, she just told you her thoughts. It's better than Iron Man 2, Dark World, and Hulk in that order. Yeah, it's just... Out of the ones we've watched so far, it's definitely, like, not one that I'm more likely to to want to, you know, pop in and watch. Um, but I think it's it's got elements to it that are fun and elements to it that are, that are good in terms of the post-Avengers world that we've been talking about. But it's it doesn't, to me, it doesn't measure up at all to the first Iron Man and certainly not to the Cap movies and Avengers. So that's why it's where it you is. You heard it here, folks. Angela hates Iron Man 3. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, everyone. But she likes it twice as much as Hulk. I don't. I am <laughs> okay with my Hulk opinion being the weird part of my list. I am very, very sure that my Iron Man 3 opinion is not that weird of a thing. And you guys are actually the weirdos. And you know what? Maybe if you didn't think the helicarrier was the coolest place on earth, winter soldier might've been a little higher too. What? 
No one tell him about Ultron. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell him. (laughs) Don't you dare. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. I want to thank everybody who's been listening to the podcast so far. We really appreciate all the support. Um, If you wanted to follow the podcast, you can follow it at assemblycast on Twitter, and you can email the show at assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. You can find Robbie over at PhilKid3. Peaches, D underscore Peaches, Gator Sacks 2010 for Chris, and now at the Sound Lady for Angela. You can find myself. No. No, the, the lady, lady sound. sound. Damn it. I was so close. Lady Sound and the Warriors 3. <laughs> All right, at the Lady Sound. I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, that's going to do it. Oh, myself. You can find me at ABCD Eduardo 1. All right. <laughs> That's that's gonna do it for this uh this crew. We love you three thousand everybody. We'll see you next week. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee.